0: Hello, and welcome to Miss Genealogy, the podcast, where my number one goal is to get you fired up about family history. Times have changed, and family history isn't just for your grandma. You can sneak it into your everyday life, and the blessings far outweigh any sacrifice, I promise. This podcast is all about connecting to your family, both past and present, and I am so glad that you're here hello and welcome to the miss genealogy podcast i'm super excited to introduce to you nicole dyer from the family locket and this is actually the second time that we've recorded this podcast the first time we ran into some technical difficulties so nicole thank you so much for being willing to come on a second time and do this again and i'm just so excited to talk with you today so thank you i'm excited to be here thanks for having me you're so welcome So let's just dive right in.
1: I would love to know how you came to love family
0: history work.
1: This is a really fun story. So when I was 12, my mom encouraged me to do a special project for Young Women in Excellence. And she said, why don't we make a book about women in your family history that exemplify the young woman values? Mm. So we set off looking in book of remembrances from my dad and my mom and we chose seven women and one that represented faith, one that represented good works and integrity and so on. And then I made copies of their photos and I put them into my little book and I typed up all their stories in my own words And it was so delightful. And I had loved making books from the time I was little. I used to write little recipe books when (laughs) I was little, making up (laughs) recipes. And so this was like the perfect suggestion my mom could have made for me to get me interested in any subject. Make Mm -hmm. a book about it. So that was my first kind of time experiencing stories from my family history. And it was pretty powerful for me. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: that is such a great idea. And I haven't been in the young women's program in a long time. So I feel like personal progress may have changed, but I, I'm sure there's some way to tweak that. And so anyone listening could use that with their teenagers or grandkids or whoever might be working on that. And I think that's such a great, uh, su- you know, such a great project that you could work on and really tie you into your female ancestors. So I Yeah, your mom was definitely inspired when she told you to do that project.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She was. She's still inspired. We still get to do so many fun projects together. I love working with her.
0: Yeah, and that leads me to my next question. So you run the website, The Family Locket, with your mom, which I think is so awesome. And I'd love to hear just a little bit about how you guys came to start that and what, what your mission is there. And yeah, just tell us a little
1: bit about that. Sure. So when I was a ward family history consultant a few years ago, and I really enjoyed the calling so much, and I felt like it would be fun to start writing some of the lessons I was teaching on a blog. So I started a blog and wrote my first blog post, and then I talked to my mom, and she was also a ward consultant at the time helping people with family history. And I said, mom, you should write on the blog too. We can do it together. And so she just started writing articles as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the focus of our blog or our website is just helping people with their family history research and also ideas for keeping ancestors close to the heart. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the name for it comes in because, um, if you know, if you picture wearing a locket with your ancestors photo inside, Mm -hmm. it's close to your heart and it reminds you of them. So I love that. That's kind of what we like to think about.
0: I know that you guys do uh, research. So you have these study groups that are called research, like a pro study groups. And Mm -hmm. I'm so intrigued by those. And I think they're such a great idea. So I'd love for you to tell my listeners a little bit about those and how you guys run those and what you love
1: about those study groups that you do. Okay, sure. That's a fun one too. So my mom finished her genealogy accreditation last year. And so now she's a professional genealogist doing client research. Mm-hmm. And I I always would talk to her during the process and ask her, mom, what's the secret to finding out all of those brick walls and how do you overcome them? And, and she eventually kind of developed this process that she uses in tackling client projects and so she calls it the research like a pro process and basically we do that in the study group and we start with a research question and then we do several assignments throughout the study group and then we we learn and we do peer reviews of each other's assignments but Hmm. the basic steps are to, to form an objective and then analyze the evidence that is already known about that ancestor and then to make a research plan and learn all about the location where they lived and then do the research by making a log and and citing all your sources and then writing a summary when you're done. Wow. So 10 to 12 people in each study group and we meet every other week and we talk about the next subject. And then, like I said, we review each other's assignments. So it's highly motivational for me mm-hmm. because if someone else is going to be looking at my work, then it makes me get it done so it helps me yeah with that totally
0: too. that's such a great idea do you guys do this online or do you meet in person or how does that work it's
1: online through google hangouts okay. and we also share our work through google drive so we make google documents and google spreadsheets and that's how we see each other's work and then we put it into a shared folder and then we also have like a chat group that we use anytime that we want to just chat about our research so it's been really effective and yeah it's yeah. We really enjoy the process. That's awesome. So when someone's
0: in that study group and working on a family line, do you encourage them to focus on just one person or do you focus on a line or cause I know at least a lot of people that I talk to, they just, some people are very overwhelmed and they think there's so
1: many people and I don't even know where to start. So what's your tip on that? Definitely choose one person or one aspect of a person mm-hmm. even first assignment, it's to choose a narrow research question. And if you start off with too broad of a question, it makes the research project too Mm -hmm. large, narrow it down. So my mom, when she does client projects, the projects come in chunks of hours. So they say, um, your assignment is to do a 20 hour research project, or even sometimes a 10 hour research project. And so she has to think about like the question they want answered, and then what sources would best answer it and then tackle the best sources to answer that question within the 10 hours. So we try to do the same thing and come up with a very focused research Mm -hmm. objective. And Mm -hmm. my last objective that I'm working on currently is to prove the parents of Sarah Rowden, my fourth great grandmother. So just looking for her parents is my objective, but then I'll look at a lot of different evidence for the family, like all the siblings, marriages and whatnot that might show clues that would lead me Mm -hmm. to the answer. But that is my one specific objective that I'm trying okay. to answer.
0: Yeah, that's such a good tip. And I think there's, yeah, I've just talked to so many people that feel really overwhelmed. And I think that's so important to just focus on one thing and just do it a little bit at a time and try not to get overwhelmed because there are so many people in our family lines that I think it can be really easy to get overwhelmed. But I love, I love that you guys are yeah. focusing and keeping it really specific and simple. And that's a
1: really good tip. So yeah, I think it's really important to also just try to be receiving kind of guidance and inspiration when you select your research mm-hmm. question, because I really think that there's certain questions that, you know, our ancestors would like us to investigate. Yes, first. Totally. You know, yeah. like sometimes you might feel guided to look for a missing child that needs to be sealed to the family. And I think those are pretty mm-hmm. important ones. So you just never know. And I like to always kind of pray before I look at my tree and decide what I want to research that day. Because I think starting off with a prayer is just like the best way to make sure that you focus in on the the right objective. That you're Yes, that, you that you is
0: probably the best tip that we can share because I totally agree and feel like this is such a, it's just such an eternal thing and something that I think it's hard for us to comprehend with our mortal minds and But I totally believe that if we make it a process of prayer and involve our ancestors, that we can receive inspiration and guidance and really be directed on which lines or people to focus on. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Can I tell you one more story about that?
1: Yes, of course. So I just thought of a story from my grandma. Well, it's from my great grandma. So my great grandma, Blanche, she and her husband were working on family history for his side the Hollingsworth side and they had received a family bible and a whole bunch of names from a non-member relative and they were working through the list of names and preparing each one for the temple and they finished mm. at about midnight and then they went to bed and then my grandma couldn't she was woken up or let's see no my grandpa was woken up in the night hearing a voice that said you missed one of the names and i don't want you to miss me and my name is Rosa so he woke wow. up and They went back down to the list of names that they had been given from the, the relative and they looked all through it and they found that they had done every name, but then they noticed one name and a few dates written on the side margin, small, and it was Rosa's name. Oh my goodness. And I like to remember that story when you have tons and tons of names and you're looking at lots of records to just remember that each one of those people is. A real person and not just a name, Mm -hmm. and and they're waiting for us. A lot of them. So I love that story.
0: Yeah, that is such an incredible story, and I think it's another great reminder to. There's a lot of people that I talk to as well who say, you know, either they're feeling overwhelmed or they're feeling like everything's been done and there's nothing for me to do to contribute to my family line, Mm -hmm. and that. You know, that's true for a lot of people in the church. They have, you know, their grandparents or their aunts or uncles or there's usually someone in the family who's been deemed the family historian and they just everyone else just kind of lets them take over. (laughs) And but I think that this is such a good example of where it's so easy to overlook someone. And, you know, I'm big on descendancy research and just combing through the families. And I think it's really fun. It's like a mystery to piece together and just make sure that every every single person's been accounted for. But that's just another, I love that story that you shared because yeah, it's, it's easy to make mistakes. We're not perfect. And there's so many things that, yeah, could go wrong or that little records might not have been noticed. So, so yeah, Yeah. thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. I think it's really hard for a lot of people. I've had a friend Several friends tell me that they really want to find names for the temple, but their tree just seems so full. Mm-hmm. And so I've done a lot of research for people who have full trees. And I've really noticed that if, um, if you want to find names for the temple, it really helps to go back in the tree to those early Mormon converts who joined the church and then look at their parents and their siblings who did not join the church and did not immigrate. Mm. and then trace their lines down, like you were saying, and do descendancy research for those lines. Mm
0: -hmm. And I've
1: noticed that a lot of the times those family lines have been neglected because none of their descendants became LDS. Mm -hmm. And it can be a lot easier to find names for the temple when you are able to trace your lines back to those first converts in your family, especially if they were back in England or Denmark or somewhere, or even within the U.S. because they're there, there's a lot that joined the church in the US and had siblings who didn't, and their descendants are all mm-hmm. found yet. So
0: that's yes. kind of how I do it. Yeah, when, great. When advice. A tree is full. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what it boils down to is no matter what your tree looks like, if it's empty or full, there's there's something for everyone to do. So <laughs> Yeah. So you talked about your mom being an accredited genealogist and I'm pretty sure that you are in the process of becoming one as well. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that process, what it means to become accredited, what you hope to do with it and how you juggle it while raising your kids because you have young kids at home still and you're
1: making it work. So I'd love to hear all about that. Great. I wanted to become accredited right about the same time when we started writing the blog, I thought it would be so fun to just take my genealogy research skills and refine them. And so I looked into the two different options for credentials. And one was the Board for Certification of Genealogists. And that's based on the East Coast. And then the other option was through the International Commission for the Accreditation of Professional Genealogists. And that one is... Icap Gen for short. And they're based in Utah and the they used to be associated with the church, but they then recently have become a nonprofit that's not associated with family search anymore, but they originally were um, for the family history library and accrediting the genealogists that worked there. Okay. So anyway, my mom and I talked about it and I told her I really want to do this, but it doesn't seem like I'll be able to do it very quickly with my little kids at home. So maybe you should do it. So she got it done in two years and took the tests and gained the experience that she needed and submitted a, a four generation report and I'm still working on mine. You have to choose a region. And so a lot of our ancestors on my grandpa's side, Grandpa Schultz was a, a convert to the church, so we have done a lot of research on his side in the Southern United States. So she, her region is the Gulf South, and my region is the Mid South, mm-hmm. like Tennessee, and mm-hmm. North and South Carolina, and whatnot. So we basically have to just get a lot of experience in all of the states that we're in, and then take some tests. So I, right now, I'm in the very beginning of it, and it's taking me several. Years, but it's fine because I just keep track on a spreadsheet Mm -hmm. whenever I research in a certain state that I'm trying to get the credential in. Then I just put a little entry on my spreadsheet that I did a one hour in Tennessee today. And so hopefully, eventually, I'll reach the goal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very slow. And I mean, I have my little kids, you know, one's seven, another's four, and the other one is 20 months. Okay. And they are, you know, the most important. But when I do have a time, you know, some time to work on genealogy, which is also really important. Then I just keep track of it mm-hmm. and then hopefully someday I'll get there. But I do hope to use it to teach. I really want to teach teenagers. Awesome. And I used to be a middle school teacher before my kids were born. And so my degree is in history teaching. Mm. And I just feel really strongly about using family history within the classroom to help students connect to their past. Mm, I love that. And so, be more involved in the process of discovering history because it doesn't seem that interesting unless you can connect it to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I really think that I really want to go back to teaching someday. But right now, I sometimes get to go into classrooms in the area and kind of consult and teach like a one-day seminar. So I did that last November and it was really fun. They do. the class I went to was doing a year-long genealogy research project, wow. and they would work on it once every couple weeks. And at the end of the year, they present it in a kind of like a science fair. Oh,
0: that's awesome.
1: So it's really cool. And I get to go into another classroom next week. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love that goal of yours. And I think it's so needed. One of the things that I, I've heard about it before, and it's talked about a lot, I feel like at family history conferences, but the there was a survey done and I think it's called the, do you know survey or something along those lines where they asked children, I think 20 different questions and just really simple, basic questions about their parents or grandparents. And it really, there's a a really strong correlation between if the children could answer the questions and how, you know, how emotionally stable they were. And there's like tons of, tons of factors and, um, and just, signs that showed that when children know more about their families and where they came from that they are just stronger and more resilient. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you heard of that before?
1: Yes, I have studied that so much. Ever since Bruce Feiler spoke about this um, at RootsTech a few years ago, it's just been so fascinating to me that when children learn about the past, Mm -hmm. suddenly they're more Mm -hmm. resilient And I've just always wondered what it is that does that. And I think, I don't know, here's one of my Mm -hmm. thoughts about it. I think that children are naturally inexperienced because they're young and they're just learning, right? So they don't have a lot of experience with understanding other people. So their level of empathy is Mm -hmm. kind of low. But then as they get to know other people and they start to understand them, then they can grow in their capacity to have Mm. empathy. And I think that the more stories we tell children, the more that they can increase in that capacity to be understanding and to have empathy. And ultimately, when we have empathy for others, we connect Mm -hmm. with them. And when I think when we connect with others, then we are stronger as a person. And then we can feel that we're stronger because... I don't know what it is, but it's something about being yes. connected and when we're alone or isolated. We don't feel mm-hmm. good or strong. We just feel sad. But when we're, especially when we're connected with the people that matter most to us, right. like the family, how wonderful that feels and how confident we feel, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's not only wonder that giving children stories about their parents and grandparents and especially stories that teach mm-hmm. them how to be strong that helps them when their own trials come to be more resilient and strong. So I love that study. I, it would be so neat if I could just figure out the secret to, to doing this for my own children. So I'm always trying to yeah, do it. Better. I know
0: I I am too. I think that I could definitely be better at sharing my stories and rem, even rem, remembering my stories. I feel like sometimes it's kind of hard to even remember what happened 20 years ago or whenever, but um, I think that the more we tell them, the easier it is to recall other memories. And and yeah, I think it's such a That's powerful true. thing. And I'll I'll definitely link that study in the show notes. I feel like I did a really bad job explaining what it was. And you did a beautiful job. <laughs>
1: um, no, I love this. I mean, it was Marshall Duke and Robin Fivish. And they did a lot of research in addition to just the the family stories oh, okay. questions, the 20 questions uh-huh. that you know scale. So if you type them into Google, you can find some other studies that they've done. And they do a lot of things about parenting and stories and remembering and writing and journaling and all kinds of interesting awesome. things. So
0: yeah, I think that there's just so many ways that we can incorporate family history into our lives. And we all have different interests and talents and so, yeah, whether it's becoming an accredited genealogist or just really diving into the research aspect of it or or just focusing on and being intentional about teaching your kids their history and the stories of their families, I think there's it's just I love how there's so many different ways that we can do this and do our do our own part and be creative in how we do that. So,
1: yeah, I love that, you said that because I think that if we try to just force everybody to be in a family history researcher, it's going to feel really Mm -hmm. unnatural for some people. And I don't think everybody has to do that. You know, maybe they'll eventually want to at some point, but I think it's so much easier to just let people know that they can Mm -hmm. use their strengths to be involved in family Mm -hmm. history, no matter what their strengths are. And I loved at roots Tech last week when we got to hear from Natalia mm. Lafarcade mm-hmm. the Mexican singer, and her music was so touching. But um, when I got to interview her in the media hub, I asked her, what do you think that why, – why is it important for children to connect to their mm-hmm. roots like you have? And she said – she talked about how, for her, singing is how she connects through to her roots – but, for others, it could be in a different way, but she thinks it's important, like we all do, that children connect to their roots because it helps them feel mm-hmm. more proud of who they are and I love she said that she used to feel sad and and lonely when she and she when she would get on the stage, mm-hmm. she would feel insecure and then she started reaching into her country's um, past with folk music and connecting to her own family history with music and then she started to really gain confidence Mm. in herself and it's amazing because she was like a popular singer for several years but now she's Mm. really like she's really comfortable in who she is and what she wants Mm. to share with the world and and her beautiful albums that have been like about connecting to the past and and the cities that she grew up in and whatnot they're really beautiful and special mm-hmm. and you can really feel the emotion when she hears them. So I loved her story that, you know, she connects to her family history through music and we can all connect through our, to our family history in whatever way is mm-hmm. our special talent or our strength. Like you said, you all have different strengths and and it's important to, to use them. Yes,
0: exactly. And, and I'm so glad you shared that because I missed her keynote address. And so I came in at the very end when she was singing, remember me from Coco love that song (laughs) which I know I absolutely loved that movie and it was so inspiring to me so yeah I could it just the few minutes that I saw her on stage I just was very impressed and you could tell that she feels so passionately about her heritage and the talents that she's been given so yeah it was fun so yeah that was really fun Okay, so a few more things before I let you go. I would love to hear a little bit more on how you incorporate family history with your children and what are some of your favorite ways to do that? Um, Because I know a lot of my listeners have young kids at home still and they, you know, they just can't devote hours to sitting at the computer. And like we've already talked about, there's, we all have our different strengths and interests. And so, what are some things that you do to Kind of inject that heritage into
1: your home and your culture and with your kids. Let me share a couple. So, my oldest son is seven years old and um, his name's Jacob. And one thing that I've loved and he has also enjoyed is we decorated his room after his cowboy heritage. So, his Hmm. grandpa, my grandpa, the one I mentioned before, Grandpa Schultz, who was a convert his ancestors are all from the South. And so he is one in a long line of cowboys and we have several fun photos of great grandfathers and, and Mm. grandpa who were on horses wearing cowboy hats and, and my son loved cowboys and he still does. So we decorated his room with a cowboy quilt and then lots of photos on the wall from our ancestors. And then another thing we did to decorate his room, which was really fun was we printed a coloring page of, his great great grandpa who was a sheriff and so he put it Oh wow with watercolors and he worked really hard on making it really nice and and adding the color because it was a black and white photo and then we took out everything except for the lines and then mm. painted it in how he kind of imagined that he might have looked with the blue jeans and the red on his shirt and anyway mm-hmm. then we framed it and we put it up in his room and that's kind of a special thing because he got to work on creating it. So I think whatever you can do to get your children to be involved in creating something family history related, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll feel more connected to it because they made it. Definitely. Kind of like my book, you know, when I was younger. I mean, mm-hmm. so yeah, exactly. It, like my book. huh. Um, so that was a fun thing that we did with my son, and now my daughter. She's four. Her name is Alice. And she must take after me because she really likes making books also. (laughs) So we read a really wonderful children's book called Seven Brave Women. Mm -hmm. And it talks about um, many of the ancestors of the author who were brave and who overcame amazing challenges. Like It starts out with an ancestor long ago who immigrated on a wooden boat and she was pregnant and had little children at the time and she was sick the whole time and... And it talks about her journey. And then the next, and then one of the later ancestors was one who was um, wanting to be an architect. And she went to the architect school. But they put out a sign that said, no women, no children, and no dogs at the school. Mm. And she went anyway. And she became a successful architect. Anyway, so that book was fascinating to my daughter and myself. Mm-hmm. We loved it. So we decided to make Alice her own Brave Women book. And we just compiled some pictures of myself and my mom and my mother-in-law and all of the women that my daughter knows. And then Mm -hmm. my grandma's and my husband's grandma's. So we just did really close ancestors for her because she's so young and we focused on the ones that she knew. And then we put a picture and she painted them like my son did with the watercolors because they love watercolors. Mm
0: -hmm. And then we put a little
1: story (laughs) in it and we typed it up kind of big so that when she can start learning how to read, she can read it herself. But right now what she does, and it's so cute. She opens up the binder and she tells me the stories of her brave women in her own words. And it's the cutest. I love it. She'll go to my grandma and she'll say, this is my great grandma who had a lot of babies who died. Mm
0: -hmm. Isn't that,
1: and then she moves on to the next page and she talks about <laughs> my mom who was sewing one time and then she got in a, a needle stuck in her finger and she had to go to the doctor to get it out. And so all of these things are like little brave stories that to her seem like they would be really scary or really hard. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, a lot of the time we don't think about how the different ways that women are brave, especially in history. Yes. So it, it's fun to, to think about you know, what do women do that is brave and traveling when pregnant is really, really brave. (laughs) And, and, you know, going through a lot of miscarriages and still continuing to try is really brave. And so anyway, I'm excited for my daughter that she's already interested in these stories of brave women, because I think it's going to help her to be brave.
0: Yes, totally. I am so inspired by that story. And I'm so grateful that you shared that because my daughter sounds So similar to yours in that she loves to read and to write. Well, your daughter's not reading yet, but I'm sure she will love it when that time comes. But my daughter just loves, she loves writing and stories. And so I definitely want to do that with her. And I think it'd be a really cool project for me as well, just to talk to my mom and my mother-in-law and my grandmas who are still alive and ask them about times in their life when they were brave because I read that book as well and was very inspired by it. And I think it's important to tell the stories of the women in families because they are so, I mean, without women, we wouldn't be here. So it's just, I, yeah, I love
1: that. And I'm definitely going to do that. So thank you. (laughs) It was really fun talking to my mom and, and thinking about the different people who were brave and, and I had never heard any of my mom's stories about being brave. So it was really mm-hmm. fun to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great question to, even for myself to think
0: about, you know, when in my life have I been brave? And because I feel like it's not a super common question that we ask each yeah. other, you know? And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I love that. And I think it will totally be a help to your daughter and my daughter when we make that book, because, yeah, we all want, I mean, we all have challenges and we all want to be brave. I think we all really deep down desire to have that and to be brave and courageous and so so yeah and i think i mean you could do that you could definitely do that with your sons as well i i think if you don't have any yeah. daughters for people listening you don't you could definitely do it with your boys so but
1: yeah thank you again for sharing that so so good i think what i've noticed is that if i really want to share family history with my children that i have to be prepared mm-hmm. because the times when you want to share a family history story with your kids are not like contrived moments where you're like sitting them down and being like, let's talk about family history uh-huh. <laughs> before they come to you really sad because, you know, of a fight that they got into with their friends. And that's when I want to be ready with like a story from when I was, you know, I was their age and I got into a fight with my friends and this is what happened and this is how we dealt with it. And I felt the same feelings. And I guess the more stories that we know about from our parents and grandparents of those mm-hmm. really difficult times, the more that we can share them in the right time with our kids. You yes. Know?
0: And that I think that's such an important thing to touch on because I've my daughter, like I said before, she just she'll just eat up all of the stories that I tell her. And she loves looking at pictures of her ancestors. But then my oldest son, he does not feel that way. He's eight. And he'll <laughs> I think deep down he does have an interest in it. But you know, he'll just say stuff like, Family history is boring. Why do you and Avery just Want to look at pictures of old people, and and so I think with him, especially, you know, every child is different, and I think that if we if yeah. we just try to sit them down and say, okay, we're going to talk about your ancestors, there's definitely going to be kids, and the same with adults that just are like, okay, now I'm going to tune out and not listen to anything that you
1: say. Yeah. And so if we can be, it's almost like the words family history and genealogy are just like no yeah. words. Like, <laughs> it's like let's go make some discoveries and just leave it at that yeah
0: so I think it's just yeah with everything that I've been learning the last little while and thinking about how to really help people recognize the importance of family history I think that you know creativity keeps coming to mind and just realizing that we don't have to do what's been done in the past with you know with I feel like a lot of the time it was just okay we're gonna sit down and read you the stories of our ancestors (laughs) And I think that can be effective for some people, but yeah, I just love the thought of being creative and realizing that everybody's different and we, yeah, God wants us to, he wants us to learn these stories, but he is totally fine and wants us to be creative in how we make it work. So, so
1: yeah, thanks for sharing those. Yeah. I loved what you put on your Instagram recently about how story is at the key, at the heart of Mm -hmm. it all. And I kind of think that that is how you reach everybody because everybody loves a good story. That's just how our brains are wired. We want to hear like a beginning, a middle and an end. And we like having like the whole context of a story. And so whatever way a person is equipped to come at a story, whether it's through looking at photos or through reading a book, or through hearing music, or playing music, or watching a video, we have to be kind of ready to figure out the way that our children learn and what they like, and then help them to access the important stories we want to teach them in that Mm -hmm. medium. And so one more example, my son, he really likes superheroes and good guys and bad guys. Mm -hmm. And one time I was showing him Mm -hmm. this fun website where you can kind of make your own comics, and you can illustrate a book. Or you can illustrate any story, and so he wanted to make his own story, oh, and so fine. he used that. It's called storyboard that. He used storyboard that to kind of make his own book. So I used storyboard that to make to illustrate a family story and put it into ah. a book for him. And so what I want to do is have him go back and use it to illustrate a family story that he likes. Because he had so much fun creating a superhero Mm -hmm. story with it that I just thought, wow, this would be perfect for him to sit at the computer and use these little characters and put little different speech bubbles Mm -hmm. on them. So, yeah, it's just fun to consider what your kids like to do and then see how you can relate that to whatever stories you want to teach them.
0: Yeah, that's so good. You are full of so many amazing ideas. (laughs) My my little three-year-old, he turns four tomorrow, but he is obsessed with superheroes. My oldest son, he likes them, but like my three-year-old, he is, that's just everything to him. So, so that's such it a good sense. idea. I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to look into all of these amazing resources that you've just opened my eyes to. <laughs> it's a fun one. It's fun. Okay. Well, Nicole, thank you again so much for taking time to come on the podcast today. I'd love for you to just End um, by letting my listeners know where they can follow you. I know we've mentioned it a little bit before, but let us know where we can follow you. And then if there's any last
1: parting advice you'd like to give, give us before we go. All right. So you can find me and my mom, Diana, at our website, familylocket.com. And we're also um, on Twitter and Instagram at FamilyLocket. And then we're on Facebook too. So you can check us out in all those places. And then my parting word of advice is if you're feeling overwhelmed with what to do in family history, I think the best thing you can do is to kind of read your patriarchal blessing, if you have one, and pray and think about what your strengths are.
0: Mm.
1: And then think about how you can use your strengths – to share important stories from your family, your family's history with your children or your siblings or whoever you're wanting to share and influence with. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of our patriarchal blessings say that we should, you know, find our ancestors' names and take them to the temple. So I think that's going to be like a really key element for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And and so I think prayer is just like the number one way. If we're feeling in tune with the spirit, then then we can be guided to people who need our help and then we'll be guided to the records that that we need to find them. And then if we get stuck, I've really learned that there is like, it's almost like a scientific process we can follow to really ferret out the answers to our brick wall questions. And I'm really thankful I've been able to learn some of that from my mom as she's done her process of researching mm-hmm. like a pro. So yeah, we'd love to have you come to our website and check it out. And she has all of the articles about research like a pro on our website, but she's also we've been working together to compile all of those articles about how to research better into a book that's on Amazon called Research Like a Pro: A Genealogist Guide. So, if you're interested in that, it's on sale now. We put it up last week, so we're super excited to have yeah, it up so there. We hope it to, to research and find the answers they they want to find.
0: So awesome. Thank you again, Nicole, for coming on. You are just full of so many great ideas and I'll put all of the links to your website and to the great things you talked about today in the show notes. So all of my listeners can find that there, but thank you again. And I'm just so grateful that we got to have this conversation. Me too. It was really fun. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. You guys, thanks so much for being here. It means the world to me to be able to share my passion for family history with all of you. If you haven't done so yet, feel free to leave me a review on iTunes. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Miss Genealogy. If you want to shoot me an email, you can do that at missgenealogy.jessie, J-E-S-S-I-E, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear how you are getting fired up about family history work. See you next week.